0: Bible or your electronic device. Let's make our declaration of faith. Lift it above your head and somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer and not just a hearer. And my life, come on everybody, and my life, one more time, and my life is the better after hearing, obeying and applying a word from the Lord. Scripture declares in the book of Exodus, chapter number 17, verses 8. The Bible declares the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Ten declares, so Joshua, somebody shall. so Joshua. The Bible declares, so Joshua fought. The Amalekites, as Moses had ordered, and Moses and Aaron and her went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and her held his hands up. One on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remain steady till sunset. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure, help me preach, everybody shall make sure. He gives the specific instructions to Moses to make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Father, now in Jesus' name, thank you again, God. Realize that this great task that rests upon my shoulders today cannot do it alone. So I'm asking you, God, to rest your chiefest of anointings upon me, God, so that I can minister the word of God effectively to people you love And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about the people that you love, Father. So use me as the catalyst, Lord God, to minister this word, and you be glorified in everything that's said and done, and it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, amen. "Amen." So today, I am starting uh, the final installment of a series that we've been teaching on leadership for uh, going on, I believe, five or six weeks now. And I want to start with just a recap as to where we're being, where we've been, um, to launch us to what God wants to do in this house on today. The very first week of this series on leadership, I highlighted something that I was reading out of a book by Peter Wagner called The Great Wealth Transfer. And in this particular resource, what Peter is going to highlight is seven mountains of influence in the earth. He's going to highlight that there is an influence of religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. These are the seven spheres of influence within the earth. Now, I want to read what he says concerning these seven mountains as relates to the church. Peter says the church lacks cultural power because it focuses on changing the world from within the church mountain rather than releasing the church into the marketplace to leaven all seven mountains. Now understand that as the church, the Bible, the, the Bible describes us as salt and light. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. But how many know that we can't influence the world hiding in the church? Please understand that this place, everybody shout, this is a place of empowerment. Say it again, this is a place of empowerment. The house of God is a place of empowerment. It's a place where you can grow, where you can be developed only to the end that you leave this place, come on somebody, and you impact the world that you're in. You impact your job, your community, your house. Too much, too many times we use this as a place where we hide from the world instead of being empowered to impact the world. I want to help somebody in this place. When I come on a Sunday morning, it should be easy for me to preach. And the reason it should be easy is because I should be pouring into empty vessels. The problem in the house of God is that I'm pouring into people that's still full. Because you left last Sunday with a full cup topped off. Come on, somebody. But you went back to your house, you went back to your job, but you didn't pour into anybody else. And you know what that eventually creates? What it creates is individual that becomes stale water. Y'all ain't saying nothing in this place. Because you're not getting a fresh fresh refill, neither are you pouring into anybody else. So you're becoming stale in the house of God. That's why so much mess oftentimes is kept up in the house of God is because you need to be capped off. Y'all ain't saying nothing. But in order to be capped off, you first got to pour into somebody else. I want to help in this house. So, Peter is saying that all seven of these mountains of influence that God needs, God is raising up people for all seven mountains. He goes on to say, on each of these mountains, influence flows from the top down, not from the bottom up. Therefore, our objective should be to do whatever is necessary to position kingdom minded believers at the top of each mountain. This is so good. Taking the gospel into all the world is no longer a simple journey of geography. The world is a matrix of overlapping systems or spheres of influence. We are called to go into the entire matrix and invade every system, every mountain with an influence that liberates the system's fullest potential. So God, everybody shout, God is sending me into the world. God is sending you into the world. So as I, was, as I was meditating on this thought, there was a word that God ministered to my spirit. I heard him speaking into my ears about two months ago. And God says that I'm raising up new leaders in old spheres of influence. As I begin to meditate on this thought, he starts showing me the people of God that he's strategically putting them in leadership position. Because everybody that needs to hear the gospel ain't coming to your church. Everybody that needs a touch from God, come on somebody, they're not walking through these doors. There are some people that we can't, watch this, we can't bring them to Jesus. We got to bring Jesus to them. So, I'm raising up new leaders in old spheres of influence. This is not a season for you to reject promotion. This is a season where you may have to negotiate a promotion, but it's not a season to reject promotion. Why? Because God says, I want to give my people influence in the earth, not just in the church, not just a title in the church, not just an office in the church. I don't want you to just run uh, work for the company. I want you to manage the company. I want you to own the company. Why? Because I need kingdom influence in the entire earth. So my final installment today concerning this series of leadership that we've been in is to prepare the people for war. Because how many know that the devil is not going to sit back and let you just receive a promotion? You are a threat to him. Because he sees what's on the inside of you. He knows what God has placed on the inside of you. And watch this. Whenever God, whenever God exalts someone to a leadership position, whenever God calls somebody, whenever he gives somebody, watch this. They literally become an answer to a problem that already exists. Let me say it plainly. When God anoints you to lead, when God gives you, he's calling you as a solution that the, of confusion that the devil has started. So if you are a solution to a problem that the devil created, the devil is going to do everything that he can to prevent you from fulfilling your ministry and being all that God desires for you to be. But somebody shout, the devil is a liar. So my assignment today, this final installment, is to prepare people for war. I know, I know, I know that's not what you want me to teach today. That ain't what you want me to talk about today because you want me to say that everything is going to be well, that God is going to cause peace amongst your enemies, and the devil is going to stop fighting you for a season. But I'm, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is the devil is not going to stop because he sees you as a threat. The good news is, is God is getting ready to anoint you and give you the equipment. That you need to overcome the enemy in every area of your life. Can somebody scream, Yes? So the great apostle pins this thought in the book of Ephesians, chapter number six, verses twelve. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So it's not people that we're fighting. And as long as you're fighting folk, you'll never be able to strategically overcome the devil. As long as you're seeing people doing the work, you'll never see the hand of the enemy as he's hiding it. The Apostle Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. This scripture gives us the understanding that there are two worlds that we live in. There's a natural world that you can see and perceive with your natural eyes, and then there's a spiritual realm that you can only see and perceive with the eyes of the spirit. Yes, God is in this realm. Yes, angels is in this realm, but also the devil, come on somebody, he abides within this realm. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you got to open your eyes. When I say open your eyes, I'm not talking about your natural eyes, but I'm talking about your spiritual eyes because the enemy is in the invisible realm, and you can only see him with the eyes of the Spirit. So Apostle, the Apostle Paul says that this fight that we have, it's not a natural fight. It's not your, your mama might be fighting you, but your mama not your fight. Your wife, your husband, your cousin, them, pooking them might be fighting you, but puking them really, they're not your fight. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age. So what the Apostle Paul is going to do, he's going to spend the next five verses, verses 13 through 17, preparing the people for warfare. He's going to tell them the equipment that they must put on on a daily basis. He's going to tell them that they feet, their feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. that they should wear the, the, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the, the shield of faith, whereby they'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked woman. He, the, the, the wicked woman. The wicked one. He's going to tell them to dress themselves. But I saw something in this text for the first time. I don't know why. Maybe I just stopped reading after 17. But I read a little further this time. Paul is talking about warfare. And when he gets to verse number 19, he's going to say, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, As I should. Now let's back up for a moment. We're talking about the great apostle, the man of God that wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament and he is preparing the church for spiritual warfare And if anybody knows about the helmet of salvation, it's the Apostle Paul. He's the one, we get the great quote uh, in Romans, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Paul knows about the breastplate of righteousness. He's the one that penned that he that knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. If anybody knows about how to dress themselves for war, the Apostle Paul knows. But it's something that he's going to add beyond the, the, the regular armor that you put on. He's going to say that I cannot watch this. I, can, I, I got to have the, 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 the breastplate of righteousness. I got to have the sword of the spirit. But it's something else that I need in order for me to be equipped for the battle. He says, I need you to pray for me. If you're taking notes, I need you to jot this statement down. Community is a weapon of warfare. Community is a weapon of warfare, not just the sword of the spirit, the word of God, not just the shield of faith, not just the helmet of salvation, not just. No, 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 no. But community, us coming together is literally a weapon of warfare. The Bible declares in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 11, verses 14, for lack of guidance, a nation falls. But victory, everybody shout victory. But victory is won through many advisors. KJV says a multitude of counselors, in essence, is more than just the shield and sword that I have. But I need you, I need you, my friend, in order for myself to overcome in this hour. Ephesians 4.16, the Bible declares he makes the whole body. Everybody shout the whole body. And Paul is going to clarify later that we are many members, but we're one what, y'all? One body, he says the whole body fit together perfectly. Each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. It helps it helps the other parts grow. You help somebody else grow. I can't overcome. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I can't overcome without you. So community, finish this statement out. Is a weapon of warfare. Because isolation is a tactic of the enemy. The strategy of the devil is to get you by yourself. The Bible calls the devil a roaring lion. And what, when a lion, for those of you all like me who like to watch nature channel, channels, what it, who does the devil go after? Doesn't go after the pack. He doesn't go after the fastest, he doesn't go after the strongest. He chooses the one that's isolated all by himself, and that's where his isolation is a tactic of the enemy. So if that's true, community is a weapon of warfare. And our foundational text on today, isolation has been Moses' strategy since he began. When he first, in his own flesh, when he first tried to deliver his own people, he did it by himself. He smote an Egyptian and hid his body. It must have been so brutal when he tried to correct his brothers. They were like, hold on now, what you going to do me, kill me like you killed him? Come on. Isolation was his strategy. He was on the backside of the desert, on the backside of the mountain by himself when God spoke to him through a burning bush by himself. God speaks to him, and he says, I want you to confront Pharaoh. And he says, but I can't do it. My, my speech is not what it needs to be. He says, take Aaron along with you. But when you read throughout the text, you don't see Aaron talking a whole lot. You see Moses. His strategy was isolation. When he got ready to call the plagues, he held the staff up himself. When he split the Red Sea hither and thither, God told him to hold out the rod. Isolation was his strategy. But there came a point in Moses' life that if you're going to be successful from here on out as a leader, you cannot do it alone. Now, there is a pastoral slant in what I'm saying today, but I need you all to hear my voice. Because not only is God calling me to a higher level of leadership, I'm telling you today that he's calling you as well to a higher level of leadership. There is a greater sphere of influence that God has for you in the earth. And I'm telling you today that you cannot do it by yourself. Can somebody say amen to that? So I want to I highlight two levels of leadership that God will call alongside you. Here is the first level of leadership. God will call people to help you do what you do. He will call people alongside you simply to help you better do what it is that you're called to do. The context of Exodus chapter number 17 The people of God have just come out of Egyptian bondage. And as God is leading them to the place that he desires for them to be, the scripture declares that he takes them the long route because he didn't want them to go by the land of the Philistines because they weren't quite ready for warfare. So let me take you a longer route because you're not ready for war. But lo and behold, the devil shows up anyway in the form of the Amalekites and wages war against the people of God. And in order for Moses to overcome, you won't be able to do it in isolation as you have done it in the past. It's going to take a team of people around you. And the first level of support that you're going to need to have are the people that God assists you to help you to do what you do. Now, I know for some of you all, that's like a curse word because some of y'all got things that you got to prove. I don't need nobody. I can do this all by myself, and you're going to drown. Come on, somebody. You might be driving yourself to an early grave trying to do by yourself what God has assigned somebody to help you do. So the scripture declares when the Amalekites come, Moses goes up into the mountains as a point of intercession, and he holds up his hands. Y'all know the story. The Bible declares as long as his hands are in the air, the Israelites are winning. But if his hands lower, then the Amalekites begin to gain ground. So he lifts his hands up higher, and the Bible declares that he grows weary. He grows tired. And praise God that there is an Aaron and there's a herd next to him that will sit him down and hold up his hands. Here's the question. Who intercedes for the intercessors? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, who you got praying for you? Because these people that help you to do for what you do, there is a natural side of it, the people that naturally assist you. And then there is a spiritual side of people who intercede on your behalf. Spiritually, they help you to gain ground. Now, I believe according to the scripture that all of us as believers are assigned angels. How many know that, right? Right? All of us are assigned angels, but I believe even beyond that, not only are you assigned personal angels, I believe that every last one of us are assigned people that pray specifically for us. The question is, who are they? Look at your neighbor and neighbor, who are your intercessors? And I'm challenging you today, if you don't know, you need to fix that as of today. You need to find out who are the friends, who are the family members that are calling my name out. Because when it comes to me, I don't care if I'm a pastor, I don't care if I'm a father, I don't care if I'm just a man. I need people that's calling Greg. Now I'm not just talking about, Lord, cover all pastors, God. Cover all fathers. No, 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 I need you to call cover Greg Stephen McGee Sr. Come on, somebody. I need somebody to call Call my name out individually, and I'm telling you today that you got to have somebody that's calling your name out. Here's the challenge of having personal intercessors. I'm telling you, to the the sphere of leadership that God desires to call you, you won't be able to do it by yourself. He's going to assign people to you to help you. Somebody shout, Lord, I need help. Say it again, Lord, I need help. Now, that's easy for you, for some of y'all to say, but it's hard for some of y'all to receive. Because you don't mind heavenly help. You don't mind an angel showing up. But when folks show up, you know the old story, the old story of the, the, the father that was, the, the, the guy that was drowning, his, his boat was sinking and, and, and a guy came by with the canoe and says, hey, I can, I can help you. I can help you. And he says, the guy says, no, no, you, you go ahead. God's going to help me. God's going to help me. And, and then the canoe goes. And then a the guy with a boat comes. And he, he said, hey, 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 here, here's a, here's a life raft. Grab the life raft. And, and he says, no, 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 you go ahead. You go ahead. I got, I got it. I got it. I got it. And he goes on. Then somebody else comes by with a bigger boat. And he says, hey, hey, I'm here. I can help. I can help. And, and the guy says, no, no, you go ahead on. And then the guy winds up drowning and dying. You know the story. He gets to heaven and he says, God, I thought you was going to help me. And God says, I sent three people. I sent three people to assist you and you wouldn't humble yourself. See, see, there's both vertical and horizontal humility. Vertical humility is towards God. But it also requires horizontal humility towards individuals. So there are times when you have to show people the areas of your struggles. You have to show them the area because my my, my personal intercessors, they just don't see the strength of Pastor McGee. They hear the weaknesses of Pastor McGee because I need you guys covering this area specifically. And Moses, if we don't know that victory is in your hands being up and you're not honest enough to say that I'm tired... And my tiredness is going to cause somebody else to lose. If you're not not humble enough to confess that, then everything is going to be lost because you won't humble yourself and admit, somebody shouted again, Lord, I need help. So Aaron and her sits the man of God down and holds his hands up. And I'm telling you, for all of you, this is not just a pastoral message. It is a leadership message for whatever sphere of influence that God has called you to. There are people that he would place alongside you to help hold up your hands. But there's a greater thought in this particular text. There are some people that God is going to assign to you to help you do what you do. And then there are people that God will assign to you to do what you actually can't do. This is the most challenging part for a leader. Because as a leader, even if you can't physically do that, do it, you at least want to be there to oversee it. Maybe I ain't picking it up, but I at least want to have my hands on it. But there are a group of people that I'm sending you to handle stuff that I'm calling you not to handle no more. This is challenging. It's challenging in regards for any leader. Scripture declares that the Amalekites, they come out and they oppose the children of Israel. Israel. Moses knows that I have to go on the mountain because intercession is the thing that Moses does, watch this, that nobody else can do. As a leader, there are things that only you can do and only God is asking you to do. But also as a leader, there are things that you can do very well, but it's no longer for you to do those things. So Moses' assignment was to go up and intercede, not to go down and to fight. Now God didn't not call him to fight because he couldn't. Now, y'all know Mo. Mo killed a brother. Y'all know that now. Hit his body in the sand. Moses could he could fight, y'all. Grew up as the son of Pharaoh. These had to be warriors, so Moses could fight. Before what I need you to do in this season is not fight on the battlefield. I need you in the top in the mountain, interceding, because the battle has to be won in the spiritual realm first before it can manifest in the natural realm. So as a leader, in any regard, I'm telling you this is tough because as a leader, if I'm gonna actually trust the Joshua, I'm gonna have to, ooh, I'm gonna have to take men. And put them in Joshua's hand and trust them, Joshua, to lead them as if I was leading them. Exodus 17 and 8 declares the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Because tomorrow I got to stand at the top of the hill. I can't be down there with you. So, I need, watch this, not just somebody to help me to do what I do. I actually need people around me that can do what I can't do. This is a challenge, trusting a Joshua. Let me tell you why the challenge is even greater. Because when we get to verses number 13 and 14, the Bible declares so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And I pause there for a second because that's good. think that's good. Had my little Joshua out there and he, he worked it out for me. Go Joe, appreciate you doc. But God says that's not enough. If you're gonna have a Joshua by your side, to your right, to your left, it's something that Joshua needs to know. Moses, he needs to know everything that you know. Don't sit in that My We had a situational yesterday, and one of my deacons came to me, and they said, Pastor, why didn't you tell me about the situation so I could have prepared myself for it? Now, I didn't know what, what was going on at that particular time, but I respected his question, But because if I'm going to assign you to a task, then the whole body of knowledge that I have concerning this area, you need to know exactly what I know. And I know it's tough as a leader, again, not just as a pastor, but as a leader in any regard. I know it's tough, and the reason it's tough, because the spirit of Absalom is still real. If I really train you and teach you all that I know, will you be the next son? Will you be the next spiritual daughter that stabbed me in the back and tried to overtake my kingdom? I know Absalom is real. But God is dealing with me. Don't punish Joshua because of crazy sons. The Bible declares, verse number 13, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Don't hold back. Because there are certain things that Joshua is going to do because you can't do them. And then there are certain things Joshua is going to do because Moses, you won't be here any longer to do them. So I want you to take this entire deal. Don't hold nothing back from Joshua, give it to him. So that he can stand as the man of God. I want him to stand. In this ministry, I have laid my hands on ministers. And in the upcoming months, there are other ministers. Everybody shout, ministers. Ministers that I'm going to lay my hands upon. And I believe in the laying on of hands. Laying on of hands is a spiritual transfer we see throughout the text. It's a grace that God puts on one and at the point of contact, the grace that's upon one transmitted same grace to another. I look forward to laying my hands on ministers and as I lay my hands upon ministers, what I'm saying in essence is, is I recognize the gift that's on the inside of you. And you have my authority to exercise your gift in the house and outside the house. So as opportunities avail themselves to minister in the house, I'm gonna push you and I'm gonna endorse you. I'm gonna allow you to practice and exercise your gift, not just in the house, but also outside of the house. People are going to call me. Minister opportunities are going to occur and I'm going I'm to push you. I'm going to say, go. Pastors called me and they said, what, what, what's, what's the word on such and such? I'm going to give them a good report because I laid my hands on you. I've done that and I'm going to do that in a few months. But today I'm not laying my hands on ministers. Today I'm laying my hands upon elders. Here's the difference? These elders are my Joshuas. I am giving pastoral responsibilities to this group of men and women. Not just to help me to do what I do, but your assignment will be to do the things that I can no longer do. As I continue to lift up my hands in intercession, as I continue to wage war in the spirit, as I continue to speak, spend time with God, There are things within this church that require a skilled warrior to take care of, and I'm anointing you five as elders in this church.